Second Chronicles 19, let's make sure we're keeping track of the kings of Judah. Now, as you've noticed, Second Chronicles does not deal with the kings of Israel except as they interface with the kings of Judah. So we'll not try to keep track of the kings of Israel. But, um, of course, the first king of Judah was who? Rehoboam, and uh, his claim to fame was? He split the kingdom. Then his son took over, what was his name? Abijah. And in Chronicles, he's best known for doing what? Going to war, and uh, in connection with the war, uh, what was his pre-war strategy? Yeah, he was best known for the sermon he preached, telling uh, the northern kingdom that they shouldn't have split off. Uh, and then uh, his son was who? Asa. Now, on the good side of Asa, you know him t for doing what? <coughs> Turning to the Lord, tearing down the high places and the idols and the images and so forth. Yeah, uh, a pretty decent reform. Turning against his own mother or grandmother in, in uh, what she did, uh, idolatrous-wise, and trusting in the Lord against the army of Zera the Ethiopian. On the negative side, what do you know about Asa at the end of his life? A heart change because he quit doing what? Inquiring of the Lord, seeking the Lord, trusting in the Lord. When Basha fortified Ramah, instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to... Syria and its king, Ben-Hadad, and when he got a foot disease, he turned to the doctors and not to the Lord. All right, and then his son is who we're dealing with now, and who's that? Joseph had, and he did a lot of good, really good king. His uh, weakness was he couldn't say no to Ahab and company in Israel, and so we've just been reading about the uh, foolish thing Jehoshaphat did in joining Ahab in doing what? Going to war against Syria in a battle over which city? Ramoth Gilead. And it uh, turns out that the result of the battle is Jehoshaphat was almost uh, killed. They were trying to chase after him, and the Lord rescued him. But who was killed in that battle? Ahab. Ahab killed by, killed how? Exactly. That's where we stop. So, chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Okay, who comes and rebukes Jehoshaphat here? Who was Jehu? 
son of Hanani. What do we remember Hanani for? He rebuked Asa, Jehoshaphat's father. <laughs> so Hanani rebukes Asa. Hanani's son rebukes Asa's son. Rebukes him for what? Exactly. What's he doing helping the people who hate the Lord? He's got his, he's all mixed up as to who he's on the side of. Nevertheless, he does recognize that he's done good in setting his heart to seek God and opposing the idolatry. He's not all bad, but he really didn't do the right thing when he allies himself with Ahab. Comments and questions? Okay. Uh, 4 to 11. Okay, notice four, Josephat's bringing the people back to the Lord, the, the, the main focus of Jehoshaphat's uh, kingship. And what else is he doing in this section? Appointing judges. In five through seven, appointing judges where? In the fortified cities of Judah, and 8 through 11, appointing judges where? In Jerusalem itself. What kind of uh, uh, orders does he give the judges? Okay, the, the idea of these judges is they're going to be settling disputes. They're going to be rendering verdicts in problems between people. Uh, what kind of principles are they supposed to follow as they do this? Honesty, truth. Absolutely. They, God's holding them responsible for judging fairly, justly. Um, you know, really, they're supposed to render the kind of judgments the Lord would have them render. 
Notice uh, the end of 19.7. They're not supposed to take play, part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. They're supposed to be just judges, which theoretically is exactly what a judge ought to be. The idea of a judge is that he renders justice, and so that's what Jehoshaphat's commanding them to do. Uh, that they fear the Lord, that they respect his principles and his standards, and that they render justice. One of the things that you see so much in Jehoshaphat is his working to get principles of God in the lives and hearts of his people. In 17, it was appointing people to teach the law among the people. Here it's appointing judges to judge righteously and fairly in disputes among the people. Uh, I think in these areas, Jehoshaphat really stands out as, as being an, an outstanding king, doing more than just telling people what to do. He's trying to, he's trying to really get the, the, the truth and righteousness to prevail among the people. Comments and questions? In this sense, perhaps you can see why Jehoshaphat gets the fourth largest amount of space of the kings in uh, uh, Chronicles. Now, he was, except for the, that one basic flaw, he was a really good king and uh, did some very fine uh, things. All right, anything on 19? All right, 20 is a very interesting and somewhat uh, unusual situation. Um, somebody read chapter 20, uh, verses uh, 1 through 4. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with the sons of the Midianites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And, <clears throat> and some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming up against you from the sea, out of Aaron. And behold, the Aaron has his own Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. The Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. All right, what is the crisis? Judah's being attacked by Moab and uh, Ammon and the Midian attacks. Yeah, <laughs> whoever they were. Uh, in 10, it'll be Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Mount Seir was a place in the territory of what nation? Edom. Edom. So I assume the Meunites are either in the territory of the Edomites or are a synonym for the Edomites, or it's somewhere down in there, which would fit with Ammon and Moab. It's that, that area to the uh, uh, east and, and maybe slightly south of, uh, of Judah. And uh, so they've joined together. You know, it's bad to face one country, but when you face a coalition of three countries, uh, that's a pretty fearful thing. How does uh, Jehoshaphat and the people react to this news? The right thing to do. You can understand why they were afraid. I'd have been afraid too. But they seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat does and proclaims a fast in verse 3. All of Judah gets together to seek help from the Lord. They come to the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Do you see the emphasis there? It's seeking the Lord. They're in a crisis. What do they do? Seek the Lord. Does that remind you of what somebody else didn't do? Exactly. 
I appreciate Jehoshaphat and the nation and what they're doing. In the face of insurmountable odds, they're trusting God to deliver them. What do you do in a crisis? I know that theoretically a crisis is when we would most turn to the Lord. But that's not always the case. As you can see from Asa, there are times that crises cause people to flee from the Lord trying to solve the problem on their own, trying to turn to some worldly solution in crises above all times. It's a, it's a very wise time to turn to the Lord and seek Him. And that's what they do. Comments? Well, they pray to God. Let's listen in. 5 to 13. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, you are God in the heavens, and thou art not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in thy hand, so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, did you not o, o our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. And they lived in it. And I built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, a sword, or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to, your, to, cry to you in, distress, in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. And now, behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Now behold, how are they rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance? O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Okay, see the structure of this. In five, who's standing? And in 13, all Judah. So you see Jehoshaphat with all of Judah standing before the Lord, and here's the prayer in the middle of this. In 6, what's his emphasis? Yeah, God is powerful enough to handle it. He is the great God. Power and might are in his hand, and nobody is able to withstand that. In 7 through 9, can you understand what he's really saying? What's his argument? That Judah was God's people. How do we know? What does he go back to? All that the Lord's done for them. What the Lord's done for them? The promise to Abraham and giving them the land and and having the temple there where God's name was, where they had said, if distress comes upon us and we cry to you that you'll hear and deliver. He's going back to the promises of God. He's going back to the promise to Abraham. He's going back to the promise associated with the temple, the prayer that Solomon prayed, and the fact that the Lord has committed himself to putting his name in the temple so that if people seek him and turn to him, that he will deliver. It's exactly how we need to pray. We pray based on God's promise. 
That's a really key thought. That, you know, we're supposed to pray according to God's will. How do we know what's according to God's will? What he promises. We're supposed to pray in faith. Well, what does faith come by? Hearing the word of God. So we're supposed to pray based upon what the word says. The best prayers we can offer are the prayers where we say, Lord, you know, here, here's what you said, and this is what I'm asking for. So that's what he's doing. And then in 10 and 11, what's he saying? Yes, what about these people? He wouldn't let them take them out earlier. When earlier? He meant to take over the land. God, God said that he promised the land to these things to those people already. He didn't take that land. So they had to actually not even go through the territory of like Edom and Moab and so forth as they were coming into the land. God spared those nations and they were not conquered by Israel. And now... Yes, he's saying that, you know, these nation, nations owe their continued existence to the mercy of God, and they're certainly showing a lot of gratitude, aren't they? You know, that, that they, they aren't responding properly to the Lord having spared them when they came into the land. And so he's asking God to do what in verse 12? Do you know what the name Jehoshaphat means? Jehovah Judges. So he's asking Jehovah to judge. You know, do a Jehoshaphat on them. And uh, he said, because we're powerless, but our eyes are on you. One of, the, one of the best prayers we can pray is when we say, God, I cannot handle this. I am too weak. I am too incapable. And there's no one else to turn between the, power, the powerful and those who are, have no strength. It's exactly what Asa said when Zerah came against him. God responds to the cry of the weak and helpless when they throw themselves onto the Lord in trust. What we're tempted to do is say, God, I, I can handle most of this. If you could just give me a little boost here, I can take care of the rest of it. And what God wants us to say is, I can't handle this at all. I have no strength at all, and I'm totally depending on you. That is much more likely to be an effective prayer. And that's what you see Jehoshaphat doing. Comments and questions? Fourteen to nineteen. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, the Levite, the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Hear ye, all, all Judah, and hear ye, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and ye king of Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord unto you, Fear not, and ye will be dismayed by reason of, of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go 
down against them. Behold, they come up by the ascent of Zid, and you shall find them at the end of the valley before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight this battle. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves uh, and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Josaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, uh, of the children of the Kohathites, and the children of the Kor Korahites, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with an exceeding Here's the answer to the prayer. Who is the one through whom this answer comes? Jehaziel, with the Spirit of the Lord upon him, answers the assembly and says what? Yeah, don't worry. The battle is not yours. It's God's. And he will take care of it. Go down to them... Here's where you'll find this coalition of armies. But when you go down there, what were you going to have to do? Stand and watch. Don't fight. Go down to face this coalition of three nations and don't go to fight. Go to stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Don't worry about it. Just go down tomorrow and face them. The Lord will be with you. That, that idea of stand and see the salvation of the Lord remind you of anything? It should remind you of something. Yes. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That's Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, right before he divides the Red Sea. Isn't it amazing that the Lord is able to win these battles single-handedly? He does not need our help. Now, sometimes he chooses to use us in the battle. But he doesn't need us. <laughs> and so he says, this is what I'm going to take care of by myself. You're going to go down there and stand and watch. <laughs> and what's their response in 18 and 19? Absolutely. They worship God, all of them together with the Levites leading the praise and worship. They worship him because of the promise he's made that tomorrow they'll go down and the Lord will win the battle and they'll just stand and watch him. Comments and questions? All right. Um, 20 to 30. Judah, 
for they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took to themselves more than they could carry. And they were three days taking their spoil, because they were so much. And on the fourth day, they came in the valley of Berica, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, they have named that place the valley of Berica until today. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at, the at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the land, for they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest all time. All right. So Jehoshaphat tells him to do what in verse 20? To what? Believe. Believe. Put your trust in God. Isn't that a main theme of these books? Trust the Lord and everything will be okay. You'll be established. So they go down to the battle site. They're going down to face a coalition of three armies. And how do they go down? What are they wearing? At least some of them. Holy attire. Holy attire not, um, you know, um, what do you call it? Armor, yeah. They're not in armor, they're in holy attire. And what are they doing? Yes. The battle cry has been replaced by a chorale. You know, they're going down there singing praises to God in holy attire as they go down to the, to the battlefield. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know... I bet they don't teach you that at West Point. <laughs> you know? What's happening? While they're going down there, what's the Lord done? Yes? They end up fighting off each other and killing off each other. And by the time the Israelites get down there, what do they find on the battlefield? A bunch of dead bodies. They've all killed each other which is a typical theme in the Bible, the self-destructive nature of enemy, of, of, of evil. You know, can you think of other examples where um, the forces of evil kill each other off? Gideon with the Midianites. It's an excellent example. Uh, that's so... <laughs> What's left for them to do when they get down to the battleground? Yeah, and how long does that take? It takes them three days just to gather up all the spoil from those huge armies. Uh, so plunder and praise are the only tasks that's left for them, and they return singing and praising God and rejoicing. They had started out fasting, now they're rejoicing, and the dread of God comes upon all the other nations who've heard that God fought for Israel and that they won the victory. Um, this is just such an amazing thing. Because it's the Lord winning without a, a single individual Israelite doing one thing in the battle. Comment. Yeah. 
Remember this story. Probably not one of the best known ones. It's not covered in Kings. But this is a good story. And it really illustrates the kind of trust we need to have in God and the kind of power that the God we serve has. All right? 31 to 37. Okay, so this is the end of Jehoshaphat's reign, 25 years. Verse 32, he walked in the way of his father Asa and did not depart from it. Asa did depart from that way at the end of his life. Jehoshaphat stays faithful. However, what about the high places? Why not? Yeah, the people seem to still have some divided loyalties. Perhaps that's not a knock on Jehoshaphat, more a knock on the people themselves. But overall, Jehoshaphat has done very well. Now, at the very end of this, there's another little incident in Jehoshaphat's life that's not very good. What did he do? <coughs> Made a treaty with Israel. With which king of Israel? Who was Ahaziah? Ahab's son. Very good. And what kind of a treaty was this? A trade treaty, a naval treaty. They're uh, working together, sending ships to Tarshish. And Eliezer the prophet says to, uh, to uh, Joseph at what? Exactly. He allied with the wrong people and the ships end up being destroyed on their mission. There are actually, if you count one in Kings that's not here in Chronicles, there are at least four ways that Jehoshaphat, or four times Jehoshaphat, allied himself with Israel. We read about what he did with Ahab, you know, fighting against Ramoth Gilead. We read about here what he did with Ahab's son, Ahaziah, in the naval alliance. We've also read about how he was allied through Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, who was given in marriage to Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram. 
So you've got uh, a political alliance against Ramoth Gilead. Uh, you've got a commercial alliance with the ships. You've got a, a marriage covenant with uh, Jehoram and Athaliah. The one other one in 2 Kings 3 is another military alliance through another son of Ahab, who was later king, Jehoram. And so there's four times at least we know that Jehoshaphat allied himself with Israel. That was his weakness. Otherwise, he was a really good king. Comments and questions? Sometimes good people ruin that by some serious weaknesses. And, uh, you know, allowing the world to influence us and joining with the world in evil things is a very serious problem. A very easy one to fall into. Other thoughts? All right, chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 7. Joseph fled with his father and was buried with his father in the city of David, and Jehoram the son reigned in his stead. He had brethren, the sons of Joseph, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, and Azariah, and Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Joseph at the king of Israel. Their fathers gave them great gifts of silver and of gold and of precious things to fortified cities in Judah. But the kingdom gave the kingdom gave Jehoram because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram was risen up over the kingdom of his father and had stripped himself, he slew all his brethren with the sword. And died was also the prince of Israel. Jehoram was thirty and two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. After the house of Ahab, where he had the daughter of Ahab to as a wife. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Albeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David, as he had promised to give a land to him and to his children always. In the days of Edom revolted. Okay, that's good. All right, Jehoshaphat uh, dies. His son becomes king in his place. Actually, he had several sons. How did Jehoshaphat handle that? He gave the kingdom to the oldest. Um, pretty obvious that he didn't give it because of character, only because of birth order. Uh, what did he do for the other sons? Gave them cities and gifts and so forth. And so he's trying to make an orderly transition of power which might have worked except what happens once Jehoram becomes king? Kill all his brothers. Nice guy, don't you think? Um, and so, why would he do that? I think so. Get rid of all potential rivals. You know, his brothers might, um, you know, try to somehow take over the kingdom, and so he kills them so that he secures his power. What does that show you? Insecure lack of trust in God. Exactly. What are you supposed to do to establish yourself on the throne? Trust in the Lord. He'll establish you. He tries to establish himself by doing something wrong. 
killing his brother, uh, brothers. So that was not, uh, obviously, a very good thing. Um, there's something here that you might think about that's kind of interesting. Let's think about the kings up to this point. Rehoboam has Abijah. That is a good or bad king, Rehoboam, giving birth to a good or bad king. Bad. So there's bad giving birth to bad. Then Abijah has Asa. That is a bad giving birth to a good. Then Asa has Jehoshaphat. That's a good giving birth to a good. Then Jehoshaphat has Jehoram. That's a good giving birth to a bad. You've got all possible combinations right there in those first five kings. Uh, and you can't tell what the son's going to be like based upon the behavior of the father. I'm not saying there's, a, there's no influence, but I'm saying that good parents don't guarantee good children, and bad parents do not predestine uh, their children to be bad. And you see that a lot in, in the kings. And so Jehoshaphat was, was really wicked. Now, there is a reason, or at least uh, one reason given for Jehoram's bad uh, behavior in this text. What's that reason? His wife. What was wrong with her? She was Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And uh, so Jehoram was being influenced by the very wicked mentality of Ahab's family. That's part of his downfall. Um, but in verse 7, yet God was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant he'd made with David, since he promised to give him a lamp, a lamp to him and his sons forever. God very well could have wiped them out completely, but God spared them. That gives hope to the people of the generation that chronic, the chronicler was writing to as well, that God would preserve them, that there's going to be a lamp for his people at, at all times. Um, do you have some comments and questions on Jehoram? I mean, I think that's what verse 6 is suggesting, that, uh, you know, Athaliah is a factor in Jehoram being so bad. Very much so. And if anything, I think we'll see Athaliah was worse than Jezebel. I didn't, you know, you'd, you'd read about Jezebel and you'd think you couldn't get worse than her. But uh, maybe by the end of, we, of this story you'll agree with me. Companions corrupt good morals. Mm -hmm. First, First Corinthians 15.33. Other comments and thoughts? Eight to eleven? <clears throat> 